you have your Bibles, you can open them to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I just want to look at two verses, 26 and 27. But would you just pray with me first? Father, I, I thank you for these familiar faces, servants of yours who faithfully come here week after week to hear your word. Lord, I, I don't take that lightly. I know that you're the God who sees, that you see them. And Father, I believe that you want to draw us to you. And I pray that tonight, Lord God, that as you're lifted up, you will draw all men unto you in this house. I pray that you would show us a glimpse of yourself that we have never seen before. Lord, that you would guide us and direct us into all truth. I pray, Lord, most of all, that you would shine your light on your word and that you would help me to clearly and effectively minister your word. Be Lord of my emotions. Be Lord of um, the speed of my talk, the, the, uh, uh, the uh, volume, the uh, inflection of my words. Lord, be Lord over every bit of that. Help me to go slow and not be quick so that people can absorb your word and take it in. And so I'm mindful of that tonight, Lord. There's so much good stuff, and I, I don't want to rush through it. I want people to be able to truly receive it. That's a work of your spirit. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would give your words life, and it would penetrate hearts and minds tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 familiar passage to you. Then God said, let us make, let us, there's the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a picture of the Trinity in the, in the Old Testament. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. Somebody say dominion. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over all the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. When God created Adam and Eve in his image and in his likeness, scripture tells us that he created them to rule and reign. He created them to have dominion. That's really important that you know that uh, because you know the rest of the story. The devil slithers into the, the garden to tempt Adam and Eve in the form of a, servant, a serpent. And, and, and that temptation from the devil uh, caused Adam to relinquish dominion. He's still in that same business today. He wants us to relinquish dominion. He wants us to relinquish our authority in the spirit realm. He wants us to relinquish power in the spirit realm. And he always gets us to do that through temptation, a temptation to sin, a temptation to disobey God. And I don't know about you, but I want more than anything in this world to walk in power and in authority. And for me, that means I, I have to, it's a deeper setting apart. It's a deeper consecrating in my life if I want to walk in power and authority. So Adam relinquished dominion to Satan. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us that Satan is now the God of this world. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So the first Adam relinquished power and authority to the evil one, but scripture says there was a second Adam, and his name is Jesus, the Son of God who came in, in flesh as a man and defeated hell, death, and the grave, and he took back dominion over the earth. We see Jesus all throughout Scripture. We see him defeating Satan in the wilderness. We, we see him defeating him in the garden. We, we see him finally on the cross where he took back dominion and stripped Satan of power and authority. He made a public spectacle of him. And Luke 10, 19 tells us, now all authority has been given to us to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all, not some, not some, all the power of the enemy and that nothing, absolutely nothing can harm us. So uh, dominion was given to Adam and Satan hijacked it, but Jesus got it back and he gave it to us, his church, to go out and use his name to bring him glory. He relegated his power, is that the word I want? 
He, he delegated his power to us, the church. And the reason that God did that had a purpose. If you turn over to Ephesians 3, 10 through 11, I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. It says, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. All the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The voice says, here's his objection, objective. Through the church, he intends to make known his infinite boundless wisdom to all rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Those rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms are the principalities and the evil forces that we've been talking about the last three weeks. God wants his power and his authority to be manifested through the church, through us. So that the demonic forces, <laughs> the principalities, the evil forces, the powers of this dark world would not be able to wreak havoc in our lives and that the world would know that there's a difference between the believers and the unbelievers, that they would see the power of God at work in our lives and want it for themselves. And look how he's going to do that by working through the church through us. The New Testament word for church, this is really interesting, is ecclesia. It, it means the called out ones. It, it means the ones who are called out of the darkness into his glorious light. The ones who are called out to be different, to be set apart. But the word ecclesia is so much more than that. Most uh, the theologians stop right there and they say, well, it's the called out ones. And it is indeed the called out ones. But David Legg gives one of the best definitions of ecclesia that I've ever heard. He says, to the Greek mind in Christ's day, an ecclesia, listen to this, was an assembly of people set apart to govern the affairs of a state or a nation. A bit like parliament. The ruling body, like parliament or, a se or the senate. To the Romans, the ecclesia was a group set up to conquer a region for an empire and then to colonize that region and alter its whole culture in order to reflect that empire. So the Romans would go in, they'd conquer a region, and then they, they, they would colonize that region and set up an empire there. So in the days of the Roman Empire, you will have known that there were Roman colonies and that there were parts of all sorts of places in the world that were just like little parts of Rome because an ecclesia had come in and transformed it to the tastes and the culture of that empire. So why would God, by the inspiration of a Holy Spirit, Use the word ecclesia, church, for the congregation of people that he saves by grace and leaves as his representatives here on earth simply because we are to follow that same pattern. We are to be like an assembly of people, a parliament of people, who are bringing to, to bear legislatively in the spirit the rule of God on earth. We are to be like people of another nation. Our citizenship is not from here, but it is in heaven. But we are still left here, and we are to bring a colonization, if you like, in the spirit of the rule of heaven here on earth. So in Roman times, where were we just recently? And you said um, Rome co uh, uh, conquered this area, and I was like, the whole way down here, where were we? And I... And Croatia. And, and I said, really, the whole way down here, we had been in Rome and we had to fly to get to Croatia. And, and Dave said, oh, Rhea, Rome took care of most of, of that area, uh, all, of your, all, around all around the Mediterranean. And so that's what David Legg is saying. What Rome would do is they would bring an ecclesia, a group of people, to go in and rule and reign, take over a colony, and, and begin a new culture in that colony that reflected the empire that they came from, Rome. Are you with me? And so they had all these little Romes, if you will, all around the Mediterranean. Ha! And God, even before all of that, God chose that word in the New Testament to call us the church because he wants us to go in and conquer a territory for him and create little, do you know that the word Christian means little Christ? And he wants us to so transform a culture instead of being transformed by the culture. He wants us to transform a culture and bring to rule and reign the word of God in people's lives and to make little Christ all over. Do you love it? 
That's why we're called the ecclesia. A group set up to conquer a region for an empire. An assembly of people set apart to govern the affairs of a state or nation, to bring heaven down to earth. That's who we are. In Acts 19.39, ecclesia refers to a convening of citizens to discuss legal matters. It's a legal term. If you turn over to Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19, that's where I want to focus tonight. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say I am? The Son of Man? So they said, Some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Here's what I want you to see. And I will also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I will build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'm going to give you keys of the kingdom, and whatsoever things you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever things you loose here on earth will be loosed in heaven. He says, I'm going to give you keys to do that. Uh, that we have all kinds of ideas about what these keys are. I read a zillion commentaries. No commentator agreed with any other one. It was crazy. I, was, I finally put my commentaries down, and I just said, Lord, I just need you to speak to me about this. He, 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 there's a lot of ideas what this word key is all about, but here's what we know about keys. Keys open and close. They, they lock and unlock. They're symbols of authority. I worked at Elmbrook Church for, I don't know, 25 years, and when I worked there, I had one key to my office, that big old church, and I could open one door, my office. Dave, however, as a pastor there, he had a little bit more that he could do with his key. His key opened his office, my office, all the offices. His key opened some, uh, some uh, study rooms and that type of thing, and, but Stuart, his father, my father-in-law, the senior pastor at that church, he had what we called the power key. Stuart's key opened everything. It opened the front door, the back door, the sides doors, my office, Dave's office, everybody's office. It opened every classroom, every janitor closet. It opened everything. He had the power key. You see, keys are given to the one in charge. Stuart was in charge. He had the power key. You and I have been given keys to the kingdom from the all-powerful one. And that, what that tells me is that we get to decide what comes into and out of our lives. Remember, keys open and close. They lock and unlock. We get to decide what comes into and out of our lives in the spirit realm. We get to, we get to reach into that spirit realm and unlock the promises of God and bring them down to earth and have them manifest in the natural realm. Notice that Peter, Jesus didn't give Peter the keys at that moment. He had to first defeat hell, death, and the grave. And then he took back authority that Adam had, the first Adam had surrendered. Uh, and, and he took that back. And now he offers the keys to the kingdom. And some of you are content, like me, to just open a little bit of doors. So you're, you're happy with the key that you have. Or, or, or some of you are where Dave is at. It, and you could open a couple doors in the spirit realm. But I am telling you that the, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who's in charge of it all, the one who has all the power, has offered you keys to his kingdom. He wants you to have keys to the kingdom. He wants you to rule and to reign. Kingdom is the king's domain. It's a place of where he rules and he reigns. I looked up the word key in Webster's and it, it said this, a means of gaining or preventing entrance, possession, or control. You have the keys to the kingdom. You have a means of gaining or preventing entrance, possession, or control. But it also means something that gives an explanation or provides a solution. It can be a list of the answers to the, the questions on a test or a key to a map. 
So I believe the keys that Jesus is talking about isn't just keys to open and shut doors. I believe he wants to give us the key, the guidelines of how to do it. I believe he wants to give us answers to the test the enemy brings in our life. He says, I will give you keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I believe the key to the church, the ecclesia, to live a triumphant life is in this verse right here. It's the process of binding and loosing. I asked Don to put this on the screen. I want to put this verse here because we, we want to say, well, what are the keys? Everybody wants to know. Somebody gave me a whole necklace of keys one time, and she said, Rhea, the Lord told me that he was going to begin to give you, trust you with new keys to the kingdom, and you were going to be able to unlock some things you've never unlocked before, and I received it. I wore that necklace with great pride, but I'm telling you, if you look at this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is why we study to show ourselves approved. Uh, I will give you keys of the kingdom of heaven, colon, semicolon. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The key to the kingdom, the keys to the kingdom, is in what? A semicolon, Don, the next, the next slide, a semicolon is, a, is the main way, the main way it's used is to connect two independent clauses that are related to each other. The fact that there's a semicolon there tells me they're related to each other. The keys to the kingdom are in binding and loosing. Do you see it? So I want to know more about binding and loosing. If you've been around the church, the church for long enough, especially a charismatic church, we like to throw those binding and loosing terms out a whole lot. But let's really find out what they mean. Gary Kinneman says this. I love this. The use of the phrase binding and loosing did not, in fact, originate with Jesus. It was a frequent expression of first-century Jewish rabbinic dialect. According to Alexander Bruce in the Expositor's Greek New Testament, to bind and loose meant simply to prohibit and permit, that is, to establish. The Jewish religious authorities at the time of Christ retained the rights to establish guidelines or keys to religious practice and social inter interaction. But to bind also expresses supernatural control. You know that because in Luke 13, 15 through 16, Jewish, uh, Jesus tells a Jewish ruler, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you untie your, your, um, your donkey uh, on the Sabbath and lead it from the stall and lead it out to get it water? Don't you untie it? That word untie there is to loose. He uses that word in the natural. He says, listen, you do this. You untie your donkey on the Sabbath and you, you loose it to go get a drink of water. But yet Jesus has this woman in front of him who Jesus says to the Jewish leaders, Satan has kept her bound this word bind that we're looking at in, in Matthew 16. He uses the exact same word. He says, Satan has had her bound, and I'm going to loose her. Be it loosed, he says, to her. And what Jesus is doing, he is using something in the natural to demonstrate a supernatural um, principle. Notice that Jesus said specifically that it was Satan who bound the woman, and it's understandable that his Jewish leaders were furious with Jesus for telling his disciples that they had the, the authority to bind and loose, since they weren't a part of the prescribed Jewish religious political system. He felt he was giving them authority. He had, they felt he was giving them authority they had no right to give. They did not understand that he was giving them authority in the unseen realm of heavenly places. This is the realm where the real binding and loosing happens. So Jesus used that, um, that uh, natural part of binding and loosing to show them that the encounter with the woman with the infirmity that was bound had a supernatural side. And he uses that same word in Matthew 16 when he says the keys to the kingdom are in binding and loosing. Just like he had that woman who was bound by Satan for, for however many years, 18 years, I can't remember. She was bound by Satan. Jesus himself, it's in red, said that Satan had her bound. Some of you are here tonight and Satan has you bound. You're bound. You're tied up. You're prohibiting, you've been prohibited from, from experiencing the life abundant that he has for you to have. 
And Jesus said it's possible for you to be loosed, but it happens in the supernatural realm. It happens in the spirit realm. And that we have authority as the ecclesia to do that. That we've been given keys to the kingdom. I believe what Jesus is talking about when he uses binding and loosing is simply exercising authority. It's legislating from the spiritual realm. Tony Evans, one of my favorite uh, preachers, says, we as Christians today need to understand this. The job of the church isn't to adopt the values of the culture in which we reside or merely to analyze and assess that culture. Instead, the job of the church is to set heaven in the context of the culture so that people can see God at work in the midst of their everyday life. To bring heaven to earth. And we do that through obedience, through following the Lord. So that people can see the manifest presence of God in their everyday life. To be part of the church as Jesus defined it is to be part of a spiritual legislative body tasked with the enacting heaven's viewpoint in hell's society in the midst of this world filled with sin corruption and pain tony evans says god has placed an ecclesia a group of people who are called out to make a difference and improve the world through the execution of his kingdom agenda agenda and that is the church we are called to legislate from up there to down here, to bring heaven to earth and let the people around us see the power of God at work in our life, to reach into the heavenly realm, the spirit realm, and pull down what God has promised for us in his word and to see it played out in our day-to-day life. To do what Rome did to the ecclesia and come and conquer a people for Christ and then make disciples and alter the whole culture around us to reflect him. He says the church that he's building legislates from history, legislates from the spirit to bring the spiritual to bring it into history. And he says, he promises that the gates of hell will not overpower it. The, the church, that that's a promise from him, that the gates of hell will not overpower it. This is what concerns me with people who don't feel like they need to go to church. Because this is a promise from God, and it's a promise from God that the ecclesia, the church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so some of you are claiming that promise in your life, but you're not a part of a local body. You're not part of a church. Here's what we do. I don't like that pastor. I can't, that worship team is not very good. And, and we make it about a pastor and a worship team when really it's about being a governing body called to make a difference in this world. We're called, the Bible says, when you gather together, don't, don't give up the gathering together. Don't forsake the gathering together. Do you know why? Because where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of it. Do you know when when two come together and ask anything according to my will, it'll be given to them. Do you know what that word means? It means it's where we get our word symphony. It means to say the same thing as. I I can't be gathering with Leslie and praying with her if she's saying one thing and I'm saying the other. This is why we have to stand on the word of God, because we have to say the same thing. We march around my garage in prayer, and we begin to say the same thing. We get a word of God, we get a a principle from the word, and we begin to declare it into the, 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 the natural realm, into the spirit realm. We begin to declare it because you say to that mountain, be removed, and it's going to be removed. You have to speak it. We speak the word of God. We come into agreement together. We harmonize. We're a symphony together, and we're we're launching that word out into the atmosphere and we are binding the enemy from working and we're loosing the word of God into the atmosphere and we are seeing things happen, are we not? But that's what it's about. We're two are gathered together. We're there in harmony. This is why, oh, Dave will tell you, I have zero tolerance, zero zip zilch tolerance for disunity in the church. If you attend Grace Church and you're bringing disunity, expect a call from me because I will stop it in its tracks. Dave will love you and be kind to you. I will stop it in its tracks because here's what I know, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the oil dripping down Aaron's beard. And the Lord cannot dwell amidst disunity. That is a tool of the enemies. It is not a tool of God. And I will call out disunity in a second. 
in a second I will call it out because I am a shepherd and I'm called to shepherd those sheep and you will be a sheep that get shepherded. I'm just telling you because I want to see unity. I want to see the power of God fall in a place. I want to see it fall like fire and it can't if there's disunity there. And here's the thing. When you are bringing disunity into a church, do you know who, who your father is? If you're accusing other brethren, the accuser, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And you become you, like him. And, and so I believe that heaven is like a courtroom. God is the judge. Jesus is the defense attorney. The devil is the prosecuting attorney. There's always witnesses in a courtroom. We need Lindsay here tonight. There's always witnesses in a courtroom. They're brought in to testify. And so when you say, Lord, I don't like that person, and she was mean to me at church, and I don't like her, and, and, and you start gossiping about her, you become an accuser. And you now do not have a defense attorney. You have, you have uh, partnered with the prosecuting attorney. And guess who you're up against? Jesus the best defense attorney there is. Where did I get on that? Let's get back to binding and loosing. When you bind, uh, let's look at the definition of binding and loosing. This is so good. Definition of binding right out of my Greek dictionary. To bind, to tie, to fasten. To fasten with chains. Uh, it's uh, to forbid, to prohibit. When you bind something, you're limiting its ability to function because you've tied it up. You're forbidding it from operating in your life. Um, binding is prohibiting it from having an illegitimate, dominant influence in your life. But notice it says, you have been given the power to bind. You're doing the binding, not Jesus. You have to do it. The word loose there means to loose any person or thing, tied or fastened. It means to loose one bound, to unbind, to release from bonds, to set free, to loosen, undo, dissolve, to do away with, to deprive of authority, to unlock, to free up, to overthrow. So remember, binding involves something coming after you that you want held back. You're holding hell back from influencing you. And loosing is because hell already got you. You're already addicted. You're already full of hatred and rage. You're already overwhelmed with heaviness and depression. Hell has bound you up and you need to be loosed. We have power and authority to do both those things. Loosing sets the captive free from the schemes of the enemy. So to sum it up, binding and loosing, you could say the following. Binding stops the enemy's attacks. Loosing releases and permits God's will in our life. So one author says binding and loosing is the transfer of authority from eternity into time. It's the legal right to use God's power in an earthly atmosphere. So he's telling us that when we bind or loose something on earth, it'll be backed up and forced, enforced in heaven. Whatever you bind will be bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. All of heaven will back you up on this. That that's what you are using his power and his authority to do this. So no, notice it says whatever you bind, whatever you loose. Don't miss that word whatever. So that's why we have to be very careful what we're carelessly binding or what we're carelessly loosing because whatever you bind will be backed up by heaven. Whatever you loose will be loosed up by heaven. And so we're going we're gonna to flesh this out as we go, but I'm just wanting to give you the overview right now. But again, don't miss the fact that you are doing the binding and the loosing. So whatever you forbid or whatever you permit in your life is really what we're saying here. Now, remember, it's a legal term. So we're binding something because we think it's illegal. So give me some things that you think are illegal in the spirit realm. We, we bind this all the time. Sickness and disease. I believe, you can argue with me all you want, I, I don't believe it's God's will for you to be sick. I, I don't. I'm just telling you how it is. You can argue with me. I don't care. I can back it up in scripture. Um, but sickness and disease, I think, are illegal. I think it's, it's the enemy. So I, I would be one to bind sickness and disease. What else? Hatred. Big time illegal. If you are feeling hatred towards somebody, I promise you, it is the enemy trying to bind you. What else? 
infidelity, adultery, <laughs> illegal. So when that guy comes over flirting with you and trying to make you feel like you're a million bucks and you tell me, my husband doesn't ever tell me that, I want to tell you it's illegal. It is illegal, and it is the enemy of your soul trying to bind you up. Wake up, church. What else is illegal? Anger, rage. Anger, not so much rage. It is, is, is I, would, I would say, hatred. All that gives birth. Yep, illegal. What? I'm sorry, favoritism. God does not show favoritism. What else? Greed, materialism. Mm-hmm. Gossip, I heard. Yes, big one. What? Bitterness. That goes with the rage and anger and unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, I would say, is the, the source of all of that. Unforgiveness. That is illegal. Can I tell you, if you're harboring unforgiveness, it is not the person who hurts you. It is the enemy of your soul coming to bind you up and, and to keep you from operating in life abundant. Uh, what other ones? Lying. Oh, that's a good one. See, we don't, it wasn't a lie. I was just careless with my words. Or it wasn't a lie. You just misunderstood me. Or no, it was a lie. Let's call it what it is. It was a lie. The Bible says that when you lie, you're like your father, the devil, because lies are his native language. Don't take that up with, don't talk to me. That's God's word. Dave hates when I quote that scripture, but that is God's word. It's God's word. Lying puts you in an area to be bound up. You got to have another lie to cover that lie, another lie to cover that lie. You got to remember what you said. That is bondage. That's bondage. What else? Jealousy. Covetousness. Yes. Fear and anxiety. Anxiety. Fear. There's more fear knots in the Bible than anything else. What does that tell you? Fear not, for I'm with you. I'm with you. He's with us. What do we have to fear? Anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything. You do not have the one thing you get to be anxious about. That is illegal in your life, and you need to call it illegal. What else? Pride, big time. He exalts the humble, but he brings down the proud. That's illegal. What else? Dishonoring your parents. I quote that one to my kids all the time. <laughs> Honor your mother and father so that all may go well for well with you. <laughs> it's a little manipulative. What else? Manipulation is probably illegal. <laughs> Laziness, yep. Yep. So do, are you getting the picture? So we get to, um, if I'm going to bind up one of those things, for example, if I am binding up anxiety, I would say, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you that you tell me that I don't have to be anxious about anything, but through prayer petition and with thanksgiving, I can present my request to you and that the peace of God which transcends all understanding is going to guard my heart and my mind with peace that passes all understanding. And so, Lord, I bind up anxiety right now in the strong name of Jesus, and I loose in my life peace that passes all understanding. I loose joy that's unspeakable. I, do you see? Do you see how we do it? Do you see how we war there? Give me another one that you want me to pull out and bind and loose, just as an example. I loose unforgiveness, or I, I, I bind unforgiveness in my life, and I loose forgiveness. I thank you, Father, that, that, that this weapon that's been formed against me is not going to prosper, that that's my inheritance from you, and I bless that person who hurt me, Lord God. I speak well of them. I'm asking you to draw them to yourself. I, 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 so do you see? I lose mercy and grace because you tell me that judgment without mercy will be shown to those who judge without mercy. So I, I lose forgiveness in my life in Jesus' name. They, they, do you see? I'm just coming into agreement. He died so that I could be forgiven. He's the one that says if I don't forgive, I can't be forgiven. I want to I bind that thing up in my life and I want to loose his word. Do you see it? So much of, of what we're, the situation we are living in right now is self-created because we haven't wanted to obey God's word and because we don't know what God's word says. So we can't bind and loose. We can't even be on alert that something we've allowed in our life has an illegal right to be there. 
And, and here's what we do. I heard somebody, it might have been Cindy Jacobs one time, say that, that we, you know, we live in a pit. And rather than get out of the pit by using the word of God, we just call a decorator in to make us more comfortable in that pit. And I'm here to tell you tonight that you don't need a decorator. You need to learn how to bind and loose and get yourself out of that pit. So he says the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Now, the gates again here is another legal term. In the Old Testament, this is if you miss everything else I say tonight, don't miss this. In the Old Testament, uh, the, the elders met at the gate. Business was conducted at the gates. He's not talking about an entranceway in and out of a lawn. He, he's talking about the gates, a place of uh, where business was conducted, a place where judges sat, a place of rule, a place of government. So when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he's saying the government of hell, the rule and reign of the enemy, his plans and his schemes will not prevail in your life. That's a promise. We have that promise. Because here's what I want to tell you. He says the gates of hell, that, that what's coming out of hell will not have any power in your life. And it's because hell doesn't defeat us with power. Can I just tell you that? Hell does not defeat us with power. Satan has been stripped of power. The only power he has is what you and I surrender to him. Do you know how hell defeats us? With legality. Hell operates on a legislator as well. It operates legally. It has to have a legal right to harass your life. Guess who gives that to him? We do. So if I'm harboring unforgiveness, guess what? He has a legal right to bring bitterness and resentment and hatred. I have now given him a legal right to operate in my life. He has no power in your life except what you give him. And you give it to him by making place, giving place to the devil. By agreeing with, here's what we do. We know God's word is true. We know it's yea and amen to those who believe. We know that God is not a man that he should lie. He's not a liar. And yet he tells us, forgive. And we say, mm, not really. Don't want to. I have this better idea. How about I just be really mean to them? And so what we do is then we give him a legal right to come into our life because we haven't agreed with God's word. You see it? Hell operates on legalities because it doesn't have any power. It's a power operating from a legal position, from an illegal position, but yet a legal posture, Tony Evans says. We have to give hell legal right to function in our life. And that's why it's so important not to give place to the enemy. Charles Kraft says this. I really like it. He wrote a book, Defeating Dark Angels. And he says that demons are like rats. They need garbage to feed on. Can I tell you what? Don't give them any garbage to feed on in your life. The gates of hell are trying to prevail in your life. Don't give them opportunity to do that. We are... We are called, as Tony Evans says, to legislate from heaven, to bring heaven to earth, to bring the rule of heaven to earth through our own lives. Um, and the job of the church is to, to legislate from up there to down here. We're ambassadors of heaven. We represent Christ here on earth. Second Corinthians 5.20 says we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. He has given us delegated authority to represent him here on earth. Uh, and, and we do that through obedience to his word and, and through this binding and loosing. So let's see what this looks like practically in our life. I, I, I'm just going to skip through some of these notes, but um, I want to flesh this out for you and what it looks like practically. My daughter, Kendall, um, she's a, she's a um, what's the word? She's very eccentric. <laughs> Very eclectic is the word. She has eclectic taste. She's eccentric too. But she's got eclectic taste in music. She's eclectic taste in a lot. Of, but here's, here's the thing. She loves a rodeo. 
I'm like, she's my daughter? Where did she get that? I don't even know where she learned to love. She, like, loves the rodeo. She said to me, Mom, I wish I lived in the West. I would be a Texas girl. I'd be at the rodeo all the time. She loves the rodeo. And when it comes to uh, Minneapolis, she goes every single time. And her favorite rodeo event is called the, the calf. i got to find it. She told me. Calf roping. And she loves it. And we have a picture. Here it is. Don't go, don't go to the next one yet, Don. But, but what happens is it features a calf and a cowboy. I did not know this. But it starts out with this lasso-wielding cowboy. Uh, and he starts on the ground from a standing position. And he has to get on his horse. And he has to get his lasso going. And the calf, in the meantime, gets sent out of the pen. And it starts to run away from him. And so he has to lasso from his horse that little calf. I think we have a picture of the next one and get that rope around his neck see it but it's not over yet he gets the rope around his neck and he yanks back and jumps off his horse and then he has to actually lift that cap up and throw it down do we have the picture of it throwing it down Don? he has to literally throw the calf down and then he takes his rope dave is laughing because we're, we're afraid all these animal rights people are going to say this is really naughty but then he takes his rope and he ropes three of his legs and ties them together. And then guess what he does? Kendall says it's the best part of the whole thing. He throws up his arms in victory when he's done. And I'm like, oh my goodness. That's what I'm teaching on. And she said, but mom, guess what? She said, when you're watching it, just the most seasoned cowboys, you know who's seasoned and who's not. You know who's been doing this a long time just by the way they rope that, that calf in. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, girl, I'm preaching on this. Because, you see, that's what we get to do in the spirit realm. The enemy, all hell, comes at us, and we get to take the lasso of God's word and wield it, and we get to capture that guy. We get to throw out that lasso with our mouth. We get to throw out the lasso of God's word around his neck and rope him in and bind him in the name of Jesus. And we get to tie him up with God's word and forbid him from operating in our life and throw him to the stinking ground in Jesus' name. But here's what you do. You let the calf run away so he can come back another day and wreak havoc in your life. What are we doing, church? Petra, come on up here and my, the team. I, 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 wanna, I have an illustration for you. I'm just like, Lord, I just got to... I got I to gotta flesh this out for you, and I was praying, and the Lord gave me this illustration. I'm so grateful for my team because they're willing to do anything. Poor Petra. I'm like, she's like, this might give me a little anxiety if you could just pray for me. But, but Petra is going to be, she's dressed in black. She's going to, she's not, but she's going to be a scheme of the devil. So let's, while they're getting her ready, why, why don't we talk about some of the schemes in our life? We've already said unforgiveness. What else? Lies, whispers, love of money, temptation of any kind. That's what Petra's going to be. Anything that needs to be bound in our life. Anything that needs to be bound, here's how you can sum it up. Anything that's in opposition to God's word, to God's command, you need to bind up in your life. And so we're putting paper towels on her because here's what we do. At first, if Petra wanted to whip her arm out of there, she could. She could snap those paper towels like nothing. See, that's what happens when we're like, Satan, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Get behind me, Satan. It works for a moment, but she could snap right out of that in no, in no time. But I got red duct tape because it's the blood of Jesus. Because all this is made possible because of the blood of Jesus. And so we're binding her up right now. And this is symbolic of what we need to do in the spirit realm. Because when a thought comes at us, we need to say, no, 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 no. I bind you, Satan. I'm recognizing where that lie is coming from. And it is not coming from hell. Or it's not coming from heaven. This is not something that my God would say to me. The God of love, this is not something that he would say to me. And so I bind it in the strong name of Jesus. And I cast it out. That's what we're going to learn next week is casting it down. Where we're learning to, to bind it and to take it captive next week. But I'm binding up the enemy and his power in Jesus' name. 
It can have no power because of the blood of Jesus, not because of anything I've done, but because of the blood of Jesus. I'm binding it up. I'm forbidding it from operating it. I'm forbidding it from continuing to influence my life. I would like, that's exactly what I was going to do. I would like to put one across her mouth. Just lick your lips so it doesn't stick hard. They're such a good sport because that's what we have to do. We have to say, I command you to be quiet in the name of Jesus. I command you to stop tormenting me in the name of Jesus. I command you to stop harassing me and my family in the name of Jesus. You have the power, not him. He's been drained of power. The only power you have, he has is what you allow in your life because of ignorance, because we don't know this truth. And so now he's captive. He can't hurt me. Can't hurt me anymore. And now, Don and Dave, we're going to take this thing captive to the obedience of Christ. We're going we're to command it to leave my life and to go where Jesus tells it to go and not harass and torment me any longer. And now we take it captive to the obedience of Christ literally means you're going to take it by spearhead and you're going to lead it over a cliff and away from your life. That's what the word means. Look it up. See you later, alligator. You can't harass me anymore. I have power. I have authority. I am not ignorant of the enemy's schemes. Do you see it? Do you see how she went from being able to use her arms and her legs to being bound and unable to do anything anymore? Do you see it? That's a picture in the natural of what we get to do in the, spirit, in the supernatural, in the spirit realm. But, but what happens is we don't know. And, and, and ignorance will keep us there. It'll keep us bound. So some of you, you know, you, you need to be loose because you've already let the enemy bind you. You're bound with addiction. You're bound with depression. You're bound with despair. You're bound with hopelessness. You're bound with whatever. You've already let him have access, and he's done that to you instead of the other way around. Now you use the word of God to loose, and you say, I'm, you know, I forbid this now in Jesus' name, and I release the power of God into my life, and you begin to quote script the scriptures, the promises of God that are yours, and you pull down from heaven the life abundant that he died for you to have. Do you see it? And that's how it works. Um, some of you might have trouble with this teaching. And, and you might be saying you're placing demands on God or you're trying to manipulate God. No, I'm not. I'm saying that Scripture teaches that the sovereign God has chosen to delegate his power and his authority to mankind. He wants his kingdom, his rule and reign, to be on earth as it is in heaven. We get to do that. We get to make that happen. One last quote from David Legg. And this, he says, this is the very foundation of prayer, that when we know the will of God, which is revealed in his word, his heart's desire, it is then that we can go to God and we can pray according to his will. We can ask for the things he already wants. And so we come to God and we bring, it brings great forthrightness in prayer. And we say, Lord, we know that this is what your will is and we implore you. We're not saying, please, Lord, if it be your will, please do this, please do that. But we're coming with boldness and we're saying, Lord, we know that this is your desire and we cry to you, we implore you to do it. If you ask anything according to my will, it will be given to you. What is his will? His word. Here's the problem. We don't know his word. This is why you need to know his word. You need to store it up richly within you. When Leslie and I, we pray every single morning together, and when we pray, we do not pray, dear Lord, could you just bless this person? Could you just be with them? That is, those are powerless prayers. We pray directly out of the word of God. We, we pray one scripture after another for the people that we're praying with because we're coming into agreement with God's word, not with our feelings, not with what we think God should do. We are, we are uh, people say, well, you're trying to manipulate God. No, I'm not. I'm holding up his word to him. If I say, I told my grandson that I would be up there uh, to visit him on Wednesday. He called me tonight and he said, GB, when are you coming? I said, GB, will be there on Wednesday, darling. I'm coming to see you. 
I'm just telling you what, all hell could not keep me from going to keep my word to that little boy because he can't wait and I can't wait. And, and can I tell you, God's a promise keeper. He has given us his word and nothing could make him not keep his word to us. And so when I say, when, when Alton called me tonight and said, JB, are you coming on Wednesday? I said, yes, I am, darling. I will be there on Wednesday because I'm a promise keeper. And I say to God, God, you told me you would do this. Will you do this, God? And he said, yes, I will, darling. I will do that for you because I am a promise keeper. But here's the thing. We don't know the promises. We don't know the promises of God. We don't, we don't understand God's word and what he's given us in his word. And so we can't do battle. And so we, we just let the enemy come and torment and harass us. And we don't do anything about it because we don't know God's word. But this is what the enemy will do. He will, this binding and this loosing that we're talking about is, a, is not a permanent prayer. Uh, it, it, we may need to do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day until he finds a more opportune time. It, it's not a one time and done because he will be back just like Petra was back. He will find a new scheme, a new avenue, a new strategy to come and harass you. And you cannot be unaware. Here's what we do. We start husband and wife fighting. We start friendship fighting. We start gossiping. We start complaining and grumbling. And we buy right into the enemy schemes instead of saying, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. He wants to bind me. He's sneaking in on a sneak attack to bind me. He wants me to be powerless. He wants me to be prohibit it from the life that God has for me. And I am not taking it hook, line, and sinker. I'm rising up against it, and I'm going to use God's word. Tonight when we were in prayer, I'm closing now. Tonight when we were in prayer, well, first of all, can I just ask you, do you have any questions? Take care. Next week we're going to do that. Every, every thought captive, every, every thought I have, if it's not a thought that God would not have about you, don't you have it. I'm going to say that again because that was pretty good. If it's not a thought, the thought you're having, if it's not a thought that God, the lover of your soul, would have about you, don't you have it? You can't think poorly of yourself. I'm a loser. I'm not beautiful. Nobody likes me. Everybody's mean to me. That is not a thought God would have about you. And so don't you have it either. Don't give it any real estate in your mind. We're gonna, that's next week. Some of you have let him steal from you for far too long. It's time to change that. It's time to change that. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's powerful. We thank you that you've given us authority, Lord God. I pray, Father, that your words would come alive, even as we leave this place, that you would continue to bring revelation, that you would continue to bring understanding. And Lord, help us, teach us how to wield your word, how to use your word to take back what the enemy has stole from us, I pray in Jesus' name.